help the people close to me. They help the people close to them and then hopefully. Friends of they friends, friends see the notion. We started off locally and that has changed globally. That's the way it's supposed to be. Single What's going on, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Unguarded, presented by Weevolve. I'm your girl, Jory Davis. What's going on, Hyun? What's up, Jory? We got Tony Easley as the guest later, but I don't know. These intros... I feel like we can be a little more loose and have fun with it. How, how do you feel in general about the way I edit some of the podcasts? So for those who don't know, I ended up editing them. You know, sometimes you say some top some things that are a little spicy, and I tend to edit them out. Mm, yeah. Like, do you want do you want that in? Like, well, go ahead and let it ride. I mean, some people have complained yeah. about your editing techniques. You know, they've been like, I know I said something. It's not there. Listen, people, <laughs> people don't want... Listen, we talk for an hour and a half, and the stats show that most people drop out at the 30-minute point. You know what I'm saying? So the thing yeah. is, is that people have to keep in mind that this is not for... Um, you know, this is not Joe Rogan, where I think he just talks to a guest for three hours, like, unedited, you know? I mean, it is for the guest, obviously, but it's more for the listener. I think that's something that everyone, not just athletes or people who are on this thing, have to realize. Like, not everything that we say is all that interesting to yeah. people who listen, you know? Especially if I they're mean, not, like, your friends or your family or... Hmm. Yeah, well, if they want to hear the whole thing and they are listeners then y'all make sure y'all comment. <laughs> Share with a comment so we can know that you want to hear the whole hour. But yeah, if but you don't give don't, us no man. feedback, don't. It's, don't give us it, no feedback, yeah, we don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, but I mean, we're just going keep off the, the spice. Keep the spice, yeah. you know. Those that do tune in, get a little bit of something. Get to know Jory a little bit better. I don't know. There was, there was this one, I think it was in the Angie episode. My sound for that episode was terrible. So the recording was all off because you know, we hadn't recorded in a while. And so it's so hard to edit that because a lot of the times Angie was answering my question, but you just couldn't hear me. Like mm-hmm. it was, and I try to fix it and I try to fix it, but you can tell that it's being fixed. And, you know, we're not like we're not professionals here. So we don't have like the fancy editing equipment. So I would try to fix it and you would just hear I'm louder, but it's just like hissing in the background, you know, because yeah. you're obviously taking this thing that's like recorded really low. But anyways, in that particular episode, you talked about like one player, one American player. I don't know if you remember this at all. Mm-hmm. One American player like behaving poorly on the court, right? They, they, they acted somehow and you're just like, why are you doing this? And I was just like, the, the thing that I struggle with, right, is like, okay, are we trying to make like a really entertaining, good podcast are we, am I thinking of like Weevolve as the brand that is supposed to like be the supportive community of athletes? Like how much fire can we have if that's sort of the ethos mm-hmm. that we're supposed to follow? And I maybe mean, perhaps we you have su- a different take on it. We are a supportive community and we keep it authentic. And hey, if how you're acting just comes off very arrogant or you are disrespecting at a high level another person of the community I just think hey what that's not that's letting it be known like I don't I don't like that behavior I think that's disrespectful you can find other ways to you know show that you made a great move in the shot you don't have to like disrespect somebody like that but 
that's my opinion and okay that's so, it so is this is this a safe space because because i just feel like there's enough there's so much podcast there's so much content out there especially around sports the major networks espn there's just tons of people making millions of dollars just bashing athletes you know mm-hmm. and, and critiquing them and criticizing them and so i you know i was just like well not that like we do it all the time but i was just trying to figure out like well is, does that fit into what it is that we're doing and then you know does that hurt right i mean I think, maybe you don't care I maybe think, you're like well i don't care if they, maybe i don't care if the athlete doesn't join weevolve you know maybe you don't care maybe you're like i don't want her and no, her i cool think life. there is you know, a level of, of weevolve does want to be a safe space and it is a, a level of like keeping it in in house to an extent like but of course it's not a private podcast where only you got to sign up if you're an athlete to hear it so i think you know if this is a content piece that we keep on the weevolve app exclusive content that the community gets to hear then yeah put it out there but of course i think you to that point it's like yeah it won't don't want to be the same like kendrick perkins out here being just like trying to get likes and say something that's right. off the wall and you just bashing your people like if you got something to say yeah you want to say it to them and you feel the way and you feel they're hurting the community or the culture in the way but yeah i think you know when it comes to the fans and all these outside people yeah you want to create a safe space where that's not discussed with them but in-house we can have our discussions and, and talk amongst ourselves so i think there's some things i say that aren't against the community that are still spicy but then yeah that particular player comment you know that was a little a little spicy that we probably keep that in-house drop it on exclusive content <laughs> okay, on the okay so, so that one's okay so that's so, i mean i think that's the thing that i also realize is that uh you know when i from the outside when i hang out with some of you guys when i get to hang out with some of you guys like i have to i'm always like hey so uh this you know that this player might come with us you know to this thing like is that okay because i have no idea like if you guys if right. they don't get along <laughs> if they don't like each other like on the court maybe they they hate each other but like off the court they don't know you know like or maybe they dated their friend and you know things went bad like it's just the I, what i've learned yeah, the is dynamics. that the, the, I don't, the web yeah the web is so like connected you know you would think like two athletes have no connection and they are and connected like, oh, yeah. no, no, they had a thing for <laughs> if someone came out <laughs> with a, thing, with a really web and, yeah. someone came out with a web lord that would that would just be the how's talk your of the web town. jory how, how's, my how's, web how's, is, how's my web how's is web? my web is clean like i don't i do not have there's no there's no if anyone has dirt on jory davis please uh you can you can DM me go, directly. Go get it. Uh, okay. Go okay. It. You don't have to DM the Weevil thing if you don't <laughs> want Joy to see it. You can, you can find me, message me. Yeah. Uh, let, let, yeah. Let's do that. Because this is a safe space for the community. <laughs> <laughs> let's see what y'all got. They ain't got nothing. They ain't got nothing on me. Go find it. So after this episode, we have one more guest, and then I think that about wraps it for. I don't know if it's the season or just the, the the topic of retired athletes. And Tony was an athlete who, I, I don't know, would you say it's like, what's the word you would use? Is it typical, traditional, like a retired pro athlete going into coaching? Like, how do you see that transition? 
I say it's yeah, it's a traditional stepping stone like most finish and go into coaching or they training at a facility or something nutritionist or something like that. Um, working with athletes, going back to their high school and coaching or something along those lines. So I think it is a traditional step um, that many take. Hmm. So I know you haven't done like full coaching, but I know you've done stuff with Nike, EYBL. Do you like that environment? <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> how. That says it all right there. I mean, it was, I love the experience. Like I think they run a very great business and they do it yeah. well. And I think that's always been what I see. Like, I don't know how I can block that out. I don't know how the coaches that are involved and how do they block that out? It's just like, man, they making so much money. And I don't know. I just didn't, wasn't a fan. I'm not a fan of these tournaments of players going all around the country, just doing these tournaments. Like they're not mm. getting time to really just work on their games. I think it's just, it's a part of the business now. And when you see it and you're in it and you know, you see two grandparents come to want to watch their kid and you're like, it's 60. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, to see my grandbaby play for one day is 60. You know, by the way, if you want the three-day three weekend, it's like, yo, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really not a fan of it. And to see how it, the whole, everyone just falls in place with the monster. They fall in place with the system, yeah. and it's just like, ah, I prefer not to fall in place in that way. So for me, that's, I think, working those EYBL, being around the coaches and them, not one person saying, come coach, not one, you know? Um, they say, of course, I can coach, like, oh, you could get a job, like, your portfolio, who you are, like, definitely, but then they say, yeah, but... Play as long as you can. If you you know, don't because it's yeah yeah yeah. You know they're all not very. I don't get any stories of just I'm happy. <laughs> it's just kind of like yeah, it's good money. It's uh, and I'm like, hmm, okay, well, let me try something else then. <laughs> all right. Well, I know you got to go, so why don't you just kick us in? So this is season three, episode four of Unguarded with our guest, Tony Easley. I hope you all enjoy it. Remember, share, like, comment. Let us know who else you want to get on the podcast and enjoy. Peace. All right. Well, we back with Unguarded podcast with Tony Easley. This is episode four. We're moving along here. Um, it's been a, a while, long time coming, man. It's I think last time we spoke, um, Most you we, you we were doing an athlete feature um, mm -hmm. on you, and then you were still overseas at the time. And I think I recall us talking like one more time before you you were like, "All right, I'm done. I'm out of here." It's a wrap. And, uh, <laughs> now we back, and I wanted to catch up with you. See, see what's what's life now for Tony Easley. What's what's your day to day now going from overseas to now being the father, the coach and the normal everyday life? Uh, well, first off, I can tell you, it feels a lot better. Uh, my body isn't going through as much stress as it was on a day to day just from getting up and down that court. Um, knees feel a lot better. Just the way it looks, uh, I am an assistant strength and conditioning coach 
at a private school out in Chattanooga called Baylor School. So uh, I'm still in athletics. I get to actually get my athletes bigger, faster, stronger in the weight room. And kind of in all aspects, we do mental training, we do physical training. And on the flip side of that, I'm an assistant coach of the varsity team, and I'm the head JV team coach. So uh, still around basketball, still around athletics, but I actually get to point to these athletes in a different way uh, than I did when I actually played. So still around the sport, but just being able to give back to it in more ways than one. Is that where you're from? Uh, no, I'm originally from Auburn, Alabama. Um, so honestly, I'm new to this Chattanooga area. I'm new to Chattanooga just in general. This is my second year here. Um, just my journey of even getting here, just through connections through basketball, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm thankful that I actually fell into this place. It's a private school. It's a boarding school. Uh, we have international students. We have a few international kids on our team. Uh, so it's a really good mix of, I guess, my past career of playing ball overseas, where I get to actually interact with kids and try to bring kids from overseas over here to the States and give them just an opportunity to play, to see the United States and just learn. But also be able to give them uh, just insights of the game and stuff that I've learned through, I mean, 20 plus years of basketball overall. You know, giving that, 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 that knowledge and experience to them at an early age, and I got it. So I kind of get the best of both worlds by being in this position. You mentioned that the job, I guess, through your relationships that you made over your playing career got you where you are today. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, <clears throat> moving overseas, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. But just through going through college and kind of just you know, having friends who are in the coaching realm, the coaching world, um, you kind of get those positions through who you know. And for me, a lot of the coaches that I did play for had moved on to different areas, but already had their stats filled. So for me, I wanted to try to get my foot in the door and just be around the kids and be around um, collegiate athletes as much as possible. So I would work basketball camps every summer that I would come home from overseas. You know, we, we, we usually have a three month window to where we get to come home and just work out and rest and try to get everything in before we head back overseas. So I would make sure that I would work my alma mater's camp, which is Murray State. And then I moved to Nashville with my wife and I would work Belmont University's um, camp. And mm -hmm. through that connection with Belmont, um, I met my AD and my head coach this year, or now, Mark Price, um, in 2000, whew, 2012. Summer after summer, I would come back to camp and work with the kids, and he would see how I would interact with those kids. He would see how I would interact with the, the, the collegiate athletes that he had there. Same thing with Murray State. And towards the back end of my career, we had built a relationship over those years that he was able to call me kind of right in a place to where I didn't really know if I was on the edge of either continuing to play basketball or giving it up. And I was kind of in my heart of hearts. It was like, ah, I don't know if I really want to come back to it. So he made that call and it was just perfect timing. And I was able to solidify a spot. And, and then I'm here <laughs> from that. At which point in your career did you know you wanted to get into coaching? <sighs> I would say around if I could pinpoint the exact year, I say year five. So me and my wife, we got married at year four. So year five was when I had actually had an injury. Uh, I got hurt. I can't really say I got hurt. My knee inflamed really bad. And this is my first time actually being being able to sit down from basketball, like forced to be sit down and get away from the game. I left the knees of Turkey, came home. I rehabbed, went through the whole gambit of depression and all and just worrying about what's next if i'm gonna hoop anymore you know i was i was truly panicking because this was really my first time ever in my life being able to have to, or having to sit down and just not play ball so life came crashing on on me and in that process of just kind of working things out i started to think about what was next because i felt like that was a real step that was on its way 
all I could think about was being able to give back to the kids. Like everything that I went through as an athlete, I went through by myself. I don't have any older siblings. I have an older sister, but no other brothers. She didn't play any sports. I'm the only hooper in my whole entire family. Um, so I didn't really have anybody to lean on to get any type of advice, experience from. Everything I went through was just me. All the good times, the bad, everything was just me going through it. And I had my wife to vent to, but no one was there to just drop knowledge on me to tell me, hey, do it like this, do it like that. And, um, and I, me and my agent built a good relationship, but even then, it's, it's a business relationship. So uh, for me, I wanted to to be that for young kids. I want to be that big bro, as you will, for the athletes coming up. So during that time frame, I made a decision that I wanted to get into coaching. And it started off as just kind of, in a sense, mentoring collegiate athletes who were interested in going overseas. So whenever I would go to these camps and work with these athletes and work with the young kids, I'll have time to sit down and talk to the college athletes that they pick my brain about overseas basketball. You know, I give them some insight about, you know, specifically the Murray State guys, I would give them insights about, you know, championship caliber teams and what it takes to win championships. Uh, with the Belmont guys, they would ask me a lot of questions about overseas. You know, what, what does it take to be over there? What does what your rookie year look like? And just through that kind of that, that pathway that I had started, the idea of becoming a coach became real. Um, and then later on in life, I guess when I had my son and the second half of life kind of became a realistic thought to me, I really just truly decided at that moment that I, I wanted to get into coaching. Jory, in your playing experience, I don't know if you've ever had a coach who was a former player, but is there, have you, is there a difference between playing for a coach who was a former player versus one who wasn't? Yeah, I think there's definitely a difference. I mean, my high school co- head coach wasn't a former basketball player, but my assistant was. So you could feel the it was just a different emotional connection uh, because the, the conversation was different of how she approached us and how he approached us. It was more from X's and O's, but she could approach us in a way to really motivate us because she knew the triggers or things to say um, or probably better understood what we were feeling. And in college, my coaching staff, all three of them, when I first came in, where former players did great things in their careers. And then once again, I think it just makes a difference between those that played and those that didn't because they haven't felt the game. So they understand the tactical, the X's and O's and stuff. But then when it's a mix of that and things that happen on the court that you need to understand, what's that? what does that really feel like? Like what's at stake? They don't know how to really engage with you. And there's a disconnect in the communication um, and also in how they motivate. They don't really have the same way of motivating you. Um, so for me, that was the difference. And I think there are the, the negative sides. There are some coaches that are former players where maybe if they were the best, best, they never understood that six man or that defensive player role on the team. And so they might not adjust their thinking to the X's and O's, understanding how to really prepare the whole team to be motivated. They might only know how to tap into that top, top player mentality, whereas you got to learn how to motivate your six man, your defensive player, your rebounder, your corner shooter. Do you understand what they're thinking? And I think that's the downfall of certain former players. They get stuck in their game, how they played instead of thinking now I have different types of players on my team and how do I make it work for all of them? Uh, I agree with you. I think it's, um, I think I read this in a book one time. They said, would you rather be led by a general that knows about war or a general that has experienced war? I think that that's kind of how I feel about um, coaches that have actually played. 
they've experienced these things. They've experienced, you know, it's one thing for them to sit there and just tell you the X's and O's and kind of what would be there, what how it's going to be. But when you have a coach that's actually been out there, he knows what, you know, how far to step step to the weak side, you know, how, when to move with the ball, all these things that um, a lot of people talk about. They felt it. They felt the pressures. They felt the fatigue in the bodies of when you have back-to-back games or road trips. So there's just, there's just a little bit a little bit deeper layer of detail that they know that um, coaches who haven't felt it don't really know. And I do think that there's a, a different relationship with the players. What's been the hardest struggle for you from going from player to coaching? Just being able to to bottle up and give the kids all these experiences in a way that they can digest it. I think that um, I had my mindset on collegiate basketball. I feel like I was the closest to college players just because of just maturity wise and just kind of where they are in athletics. But the good Lord blessed me with this situation, this opportunity to teach the kids. And for me, there's more impact on this level. But at the same time, it's hard to get the kids to really believe in the, the process of becoming an athlete. Like even now, if we have they have more distractions than we had coming up with a game. A lot of kids aren't gym rats anymore like we used to be. So to get them to really understand how tough it is and what the process is to get to where they want to be and kind of speak that into a language to where they can actually digest and they can really try to give that that effort has been the most challenging part. But it's also rewarding at the same time when you do see kids pick up on those things and try those things and it adds to their games. So for me, that's been the hardest part, just getting just connecting the, the gap between my experiences and being able to actually verbatim tell them certain things. Because coaching for me is more of the head than it is physical. Like I'm so used to doing things in my body, get out there, show you how to do this and do this. But these kids aren't in my body and they're not in my position either. I was a big. So being able to get out and try to teach them in a way to where they can really understand the game kind of in with words and, and ideas and metaphors that fit them in their generation has been the, the most challenging part, but it's been the most rewarding part, too. And Jory, maybe it's different because you're, you're, because of your position as a guard. But like, at what point in your career did you feel like, okay, like I'm gonna step into like the kind of coaching my teammates because I've played X amount of years? Like, is that four years, five years? Like, when does I don't know? Do young players listen to anyone? You know, is it like when do they start being like, oh, all right, like she knows what she's talking about? Mm, I don't know. I think if it's it shouldn't be this way, but when you are kind of the top talent on different teams, you naturally people look to you to want to learn from you because they see you're doing something that they want to do. So I think um, I've always been vocal with my teammates, especially my post players, because we are the one we have to be the most in sync sometimes. Was pick and roll, so I think since high school I was very vocal with my posts. Like, pop here, you could get this angle. Um, and I think, yeah, since the start of high school, I'll say around junior year high school, and then when we say overseas, I mean, from my rookie season, I was, you know, I remember my rookie season, I made one of the young Israeli girls cry because I was too intense, and they were like. With you, I was coming out of college, so of course you already know the intensity on in college is like yeah. here. And so I come yeah. to Israel, and this young player is on the team, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking like we pros now. Like, what is she doing? Like, right? And they were like, "You gotta chill. You gotta learn." Like, this <laughs> were you were you yelling? It. Like, what were you what were you doing? Like, did you? I was just like, "Why are you not running? Like, go get the fa- like you know fast break. Like, let's go." And 
she was just crying. They were like, you can't do that, Jory. Like, she's just a young player. And I was like, what you mean, young player? She's trying to get better. Like, that's not okay. But then I realized the culture <laughs> is different. You know, some of their young players, they, they don't push them the way we were pushed when we were young players. Like, they coddle mm-hmm. them. And it was a different mentality. So I think I, I learned how to give feedback, but I think it started very early for me of giving feedback because I was more of a, I was a mix of athletic and technical. I wasn't all super athletic throughout my career. Hmm. What about you, Tony? Have you had to deal with that the way you were coached at the age of the kids that you're coaching versus the, I don't know what the correct way or like the, the, the way you're told to coach the kids today right. can and can't do like what, what's the biggest difference? The biggest, well, for, well, honestly, the biggest difference for me, the kids that I'm coaching now, man, I wasn't even playing at this time or at this level that these kids are at. When I was, you know, I'm coaching the B team here, but, you know, I didn't play the B team until my 10th grade year. So up until that point in time, I was one of those kids that I was just trying to, I was a sponge. I wanted somebody to tell me what to do. So my voice, my coaching voice didn't come on um, until later on in my career. I would say around, man, maybe my sixth year professionally. You know, even in my first, my rookie season, I was the youngest guy on the team and I came in. I knew that there was a lot I had to learn. So I didn't really have that voice to be able to command guys. And even so, from the from a big perspective, like Joy was saying, you know, PGs, they, they have the ball in their hands. They're floor directors. They're like the quarterbacks. You know, being a big, I'm the last line of defense. So I'm, I'm the one who's taking commands more so than giving them out. Uh, so for me, I didn't come into my own to be able to help lead guys until halfway through my, my professional career. Just from my upbringing, like I say, I was I was I wasn't the best of the best. So I was one of those kids who I, I wanted coaching. I needed to be coached, and through the coaches that I did have in high school and college, and my first couple years in pros, their coaching style was in, was totally different from all, from each other's. But at the same time, it wasn't any style that I guess gravitated towards me the most outside of Mayo. Um, but even then, he, he didn't feel like he was coaching me. It was more so like a father talking to a son when he when he came to us with things. But I didn't find my voice, at least until, like I say, until like my sixth year, seventh year overseas to where I felt experienced enough to be able to command and tell guys, hey, this should be done this way. You know, the championship, I've won a championship in high school, won one in college, but in the pro level, I hadn't won one. I hadn't won anything up until a certain point. So I didn't feel like I had the voice to be able to tell them exactly how to win games. But I did have the voice to tell them how I needed to be passed the ball to or how, how to pass me the ball or how, you know, how to look for me on this or that. And just still had the positivity to go with it. But I just didn't have that voice of command at a certain point in time. But now in coaching these kids, for me, it's it's understanding where I was at and understanding that I was looking to be coached. I was open to be coached. And for me, being able to reach the kids where they are. I think that's the biggest part of coaching is understanding that each kid is different. Each player is different. I think on the pro level, coaches kind of forget that these are still men and every person, even in women, everybody needs something different. They're still human beings. And being able to coach and figure out what each person needs, for me at least, is a, is a, is a, is a huge portion of my coaching because I, I really feel like you're coaching the head, not the body. Like the body's going to figure out how to do what it's do. Skills going to come is more, the more time you spend in that gym. But if I can get this thing to be fixed, if I can get this thing to respond to how I'm talking to you or what I'm saying to you or how I say it to you, then I'm doing the right way and, and you'll benefit as a player no matter what. So I think that my voice came later on and it's just now it's just creating my own one. It is very different, like um, the way you coach your kids versus the way you're coached as a team? Uh, a little bit, a little bit different. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, 
I try not to criticize too much. You know, for me, being in the Hooper shoes, we criticize ourselves a lot. And I think sometimes we need that voice of reasoning, be like, look, it's okay. You know, you're trying, you're growing. I think most Hoopers, especially at this level, think that they're whatever, even though they're bad days, they feel like that's just it. They're the worst Hooper ever. And I'm like, you understand, man, you're still growing. You're still developing, you know, and I coach kids to who they're becoming, not who they are. And I think that 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 has helped me in those moments to where a kid may be frustrated or I might be frustrated with his performance. And I think that that helps me because I know that, like I say, we're going through these things. He's growing as a person. He's growing as a young man. He's growing as a hooper. And I'm more so about developing them as a whole than just developing them as one player, like a one and done. It's just, it's a process that they go through. And there's a process for me. And I think that that's, that has made it easier for me as a coach. Jory, you were saying something. No, I was going to track back a little bit. I know you brought up the mind. I know you brought up coaching was a thought after that first injury. And I also know during that time you were in limbo about where you're going to stop. You were dealing with a a major injury, going to have to get surgery. I know you're a big spiritual person. Mental health is huge. Again, I know you you put that into your coaching routine. Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering, as you were transitioning during those times of silence, et cetera, what, what did you proactively do? to get yourself in a headspace of growth or internal work? Like, what, what was that like for you? During that time frame, it was it was training the mind. Like, I felt like in my career, I had a lot of knee, not a lot of knee injuries. My knee would flame a lot, um, and I would get it checked out a lot, but this was the first time that it actually flamed to the point to where it scared me. And then later on in my career, it actually, my quadriceps tendon ripped. But during that first time frame, it was more so about training the mind. I had really came to the point to where, you know, my body, um, was breaking down on me you know my spirit was broken and the only thing that I felt like that could break me back was my mind my mind wasn't broken at least for a little while it wasn't broken so um it was getting to books it was diving more deeper into my spiritual side it was it was really doing everything extra on top of the physical stuff I was still going to PT I was still getting my body faster I was still getting my body stronger and healthier but when I look back at my career, there were moments in my career where my mind would always be fragile. My mind was the fragilest thing that I had, at least in that point in time, that I felt like um, that was hindering me. So for me, seeking out knowledge, you know, I, I wasn't a kid that grew up who just loved academics. I wasn't a kid who just loved reading books. But in my mind as an athlete, we, we pursue being better. We, we pursue improvement all the time. That's why we do what we do. We come in, we can from roll, we'll get extra lifts in, we'll get extra shots up just to be the best version of ourselves all the time. So I really truly committed to myself, to helping myself. I looked at it as like, I was like my body was in the garage and I was just tinkering with the engine. Like that's, that's how I looked at it. And I was adding something to it to help this thing move a little bit better, move, move, move a little bit faster. So just committing to books, committing to reading, actually reading self-help books. Like I didn't know, I, like I say, I wasn't a big reader. I couldn't even tell you the, the book that I've read even before up until that point. I figured that if I if I needed to help self, let me find some books that spoke to self and let's see what happened. And things started to change. Things started to change for me. I started to become a little bit more solid in my mindset. I started to believe in myself more. You know, I started for as athletes, we doubt ourselves a lot, especially after injuries. You doubt if you can still do the same thing as you did before. You doubt if you can move the same way. Um, so all these books that I read and the belief in those books, not just gaining the knowledge, but the actual belief in it, the acceptance of what was said. Um, and internalizing that and actually putting that to action and trying the stuff that's in the books, all that stuff played a huge part of me becoming and, and changing in that moment. 
What's a few of those books that you remember? <laughs> oh, man. My first one that I read, it was random, uh, Tribes. I know that sounds like it's really random, um, but that just taught me about how you will find your own crowd of people, and that sounds a weird place, but for me as an athlete, I felt like I was isolated. I was by myself. You know, my athletes were all still hooping overseas. I was at home. That was the very first book that I actually just picked up and read in that mind, in that moment. It wasn't really a self-help book. It was more so just about a, a, a overall how you attract the people that you need to attract to your life. Everything Matters, that book is more so about everything that you put into, like everything you do, down to the teeth, to your routine, to your how you wake up. All those things combined are connected into who you are. And, and if you kind of expand that outside into nature, everything around us connects to one. And that one kind of put some things in perspective for me. Uh, Mind Gym, golly, Mind Gym was one that whew, opened up a lot of stuff, self-help stuff. It, 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 that one broke down just the intertwerkings of the mindset of an athlete, um, how truly exercising, giving you exercises and truly exercising your mind in certain fields, especially when you're on the floor. They gave you different techniques that you could try. For me, most of that book was, it was for a different sport. It wasn't really basketball related, but being able to see how the cues were set up in different areas of sports and how pregame routines were set up, I was able to kind of conform my own from that. And the last one was the, the um, it's coming to me, the inner game of tennis. I think it's, I think it's what the name is, the inner game of tennis. I think I, I'm trying to remember if that's exactly the name of it. It, it was. Basketball is, a, is not a one-on-one sport; it's a team sport. But in my mind, it's a lot of one-on-ones in five different areas. Whoever has that ball, it's like a one-on-one game. So I want to get into the mind of tennis players. Tennis players, everything is on them. The pressure is on them to perform. It's an individual sport. So for me, their mindset and their mental side of their game is sharper than almost any athlete um, outside of maybe you know people who should rifleists or something like that. Uh, but that book there kind of gave me a lot of things to help with the inner game the inside the monkey of the mind the, you know those those doubtful thoughts and it gave me ways to correct them it gave me techniques to correct those those moments and that's one of those books that actually I give to my students now to be honest with you just to help them out in their path so those four three or four right there kind of sparked everything and then from that point on it was just whatever I could find literally whatever I could find um, to add to that gambit did you meet your wife overseas, or is she? Did you guys meet in the U.S.? Uh, we met in college, actually. Uh, okay. Yeah, we met in college. She was a cheerleader, captain of the cheerleading team. Um, I hooped. I met her my sophomore, my sophomore year in the classroom, but my freshman year on the court. I registered in my freshman year, so I was at Murray. So I went to Murray State. I was there for five years. Registered in my very first year. They won a conference championship, and my senior year, we won a conference championship. Um, and then I've been overseas ever since then. And she started to actually travel with me overseas in 2014 once we got married. And then she was with me for the long haul after that. How was it for her during those down moments for you? Rough, 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 man. Just because uh, as Hoopers, anytime something happens with basketball, because it is our, once you become a pro, especially overseas, when you become a pro, like that's your livelihood. Everything is affected by basketball like your days your life your schedule your time at home your time with people so f- during that time frame of being hurt honestly once she kind of came along for the for the ride she became that person i vented to she became the one who saw all the stuff behind the scenes so during that moment where i was broken it was tough for her it was tough for me and and, and i kind of dumped things on her my frustrations you know my worries my anxiety 
Um, she was the one who just saw it all. I'm thankful that she was a rock during that moment. You know, she she is a lot more. She's a red sign. She's fire. She's fierce. Um, I'm more of water. <laughs> As if you if, if I can describe it that way, I'm very passive. Uh, but so her being who she was, being able to kind of be more stern and more strict with me and, and help me snap out of it. She really she really gave me some support, man. She helped me through that tough time. And what about you, Jory? Do you have better seasons when you're in a relationship or better seasons when you're not in a relationship? <laughs> I think overseas definitely for us having someone that comfort of coming home, especially if you're dating somebody that plays. It is a different feeling of being able to have a conversation with someone um, instead of coming home and it's just you. But it's a gift and a curse, you know, because it's some. It is good to come home and it's just you, and you figure that out in that time. So I haven't really paid attention truthfully. I think I've only paid attention to the seasons I've had when I'm near water. <laughs> it's like a beach <laughs> or a lake or something. But um, I haven't really paid attention to how I play when I'm. Uh, with someone I think actually I've been more focused and in tune with my routine truthfully during those times where I was in my own space and I had no one else to go to but me Um, so I think it's just a different dynamic compared to those many of the guys that have their wives there I mean that's they're they're in the union they 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 vow to to be through thick and thin I think it's a little bit different (laughs) dynamic where somebody might be dating or who's there for now, you know, for in the overseas. But I've I've heard a lot of the the guys I've spoken to that they definitely feel their presence and how it helps them and how they they're going through it with them right there. So um, I can only imagine that she was going through it and then you know when the baby came, what, what was that like? You know, did Ooh, were you at a place where you figured it out or were you still kind of trying to figure things out and then you had your son. We were in a place where we had things figured out. Thankfully, my first four years of my career, I was, I was we were still dating stuff, but I was still by myself over there. So it was that was a time frame where I leaned more on my teammates as my companions. We would go out a lot, come over, conversate. It was like college again. Everybody's at the house. We, you know, we meet up and go to eat dinner and go to clubs and everything together. And we would tough moments. We vent together, whatever it may be. And then once she came over there, she became that for me. And then you fast forward to 2019, after years of us traveling together, you know, up until that point, it was just me, my wife and our cat, Pooch, um, just traveling around to different city to city. <laughs> our first year of marriage, uh, we went to three different countries, literally our first time overseas, three different countries in one season. We started off in Nesiona in Israel. We left there, went to Eskishtia, actually the team had us staying in Istanbul. We were actually traveling for home games. Um, four hours away to our gym in Eskashir. And then I left there and went to Pistoia to finish up that season. So she traveled with me to three different countries. Um, I thought it was a wrap after that, to be honest with you, but she stayed through with me. And 2019, <laughs> we had our son in Romania, Blues, Romania, and Transylvania. Going into that season, we, we kind of planned the pregnancy. We were at a place in our life where we were kind of solid. We, we you know, it was year 10, I want to say for me, nine or 10, year 10 for me. So we were in a place where we were real solid. You know, I was a veteran in my career. And thankfully, Romania was everything we needed to, to have to be. We need, Romania was everything we needed to be for us to have our son and, and for us to have a great experience having him, um, for us to, to transition to a family. So it was kind of set up to where, you know, piece by piece, as we developed as a family, I developed as we developed 
as a relationship and then I developed as a player. If, if, if you know, I look back at it, it looked like it was all staged, but it happened organically, kind of all aligned in the right way for me. Is it correct that you ended your career on an injury? I would say yes, and I'm kind of, and it's going to sound weird, I'm kind of thankful because I was on the edge. Honestly, I had I had opportunities to play after my last season. My last season, I played at Bergamo, Italy. The season before was cut short by COVID. I played in Agrigento down in Sicily. Man, we had a really good season. First in the league was actually had a trajectory of winning, I felt like. Um, the league felt like it. We really had a really young, scrappy team. COVID hit. We didn't get to finish that season. So just having a season like that, leaving with that type of energy, I wanted to get back to it. I was, I was kind of, you know, after year 10, I'm like, hey, man, I can I can end it at any point in time. I've played enough basketball. Like, it's not about chasing the check anymore. It's about truly having fun with the game. And with the understanding of knowing that I want to coach next, you know, my team in Agri, just so I was, I was in a position where I got to be a leader. I got to be kind of right next to the coach, my man, Devis Cagnardi, who I love him to death. He's back down there now, actually. Um, he, he knew where I was. He knew what I wanted to do next. So he started to slowly kind of teach me the things of coaching, give me the opportunity to speak to the team, to lead the team, to lead the charge. After having that kind of that responsibility and then COVID taking away, my year in Bergamo, Bergamo finished at the very bottom of the season, at the very bottom of the, of the, of the league, the very first year or the year, that year, that season. But I went there thinking that I could help rebuild it. Went there thinking that I could help teach these young guys about the game and hopefully um, with the right pieces help kind of bring that team back. And through that season, um, I feel like I exerted myself a little bit more than I needed to just because it was a young team. So they depended on me as a veteran, as a more experienced guy to kind of do more and show more and kind of be hold more of a load, which was kind of understood. But towards the end of the season, I kind of got to the point to where, especially with my son, I want to be home with my family more so than I want to be on the court. You know, me leaving home to go to practice felt like a burden. Basketball felt like a job again. Once my son kind of came, he arrived, I wanted to be home with him, just help my wife out. So that season, they left early and went home in March, right before he turned two. And that's when I was like, you know what, I'm kind of on the fence about being done with it. Uh, up until that point, I had had a few coaches call about coaching opportunities, but nothing was really solid. I wanted to play a little bit more. So in my heart of hearts, I was on the fence. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, man, I can play another year. I'm healthy enough to play another year. I feel like I had a, a, a season that was decent enough to actually get another contract. I had a contract in Mexico, to be honest with you, at the very end of that season I could have went to. Then the injury happened. I was kind of relieved because I had I, my body made a decision for me. You know, the good Lord made it for me. He knew in my heart of hearts that I was on that fence. He knew that, you know, how I felt about when my family left. And this, the, I couldn't pull that trigger myself. He did it for me. And, you know, and I fell into this situation. So I cannot complain. Uh, I think it's all everything happens for a reason. It's already planned out. So it was just a part of this plan. And for me, I accept it. I'm not one of those bitter ones who was like, you know, I, I should have been doing this. I could have been doing this. I did enough. And basketball is a small window of our life. You know, most Hoopers think they're going to play forever. And then they realize that, hey, man, you're not, you don't have forever to hoop. You're not going to be hooping when you're 60. You know what I mean? So me being able to actually have the decision made for me, in a sense, and and knowing what he had prepared for me after, I'm okay with it. Looking back, are there any things that you wish you would have done differently to prepare you for post-career? Um, I wish I just would have had a vision earlier. I wish that I wish that I would have had that forethought before an injury to jump on it. I wish I would have came into pro ball overseas knowing that this is a small window, you know. And I, and I say small window. That small window is, you know, five to ten years. You know, at least giving you a time frame to know that hey, 
at this certain point in time, I want to have this established for after. Like, I really didn't think that basketball was going to end. You know, I grew, I'm, in the, I'm from the era of ball is life. In that mindset, you see yourself playing literally forever, and you don't really realize that you have that end date. You have that expiration date of playing, and I wish that I would have had the forethought to start setting up anything, whatever it may have been, um, whatever that had my itch my, my rookie season. I wish that I would have had that mindset to, to at least touch base with stuff in the summertime to start setting up step-by-step step of what I want to move forward. Me coaching kind of came organically because, you know, when I thought about life and the things that I wanted to do after – um, I love to speak. I'm a, I'm a kind of a hot energy guy, positive guy. You know, I want to give back, you know, positive insight in the in the platform, in the realm or the forum that I'm able to do that and push and still have an impact on people is coaching or teaching. I got my degree in health and PE, so I've always wanted to teach kids and be around people and just have an impact on people and influence people the right way. Um, I just I wish I would have had I wish I would have believed in that dream a little bit more than the basketball dream. But on the flip side of that, I think that would have taken away from my experience over there. Um, as a hooper, we have to kind of go all in with it to be able to be the type of athletes that we are. So it's tough to have one foot in and one foot out. But if I could go back, I just wish that I would have given more thought about what's next after kind of the beginning of my career, more so than when tragedy hit. That's a great place to end it. Thank you, definitely, Tony Easley, definitely. for being on Unguarded with Jory Davis. And I appreciate you guys. I really do. Yeah, thanks for your time. Uh, everyone, please, if you like the episode, which of course you did, give us a rating, subscribe, send us comments, let us know what you thought, what you want to hear, any questions you might have that you want us to ask future guests, especially about retirement. We want to hear from you. Appreciate you, Tony. Thank you for coming Big through. Um, and as Hyun said, as Hyun said, y'all comment, leave some feedback, hit me up, DM me. Uh, let us know. Let us know what you want to hear next and what you liked about the episode. Peace. I guess I got do it on myself.